text for the message this morning is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 to 14. Past several weeks, we've looked at the, the surrounding context, several sermons on the surrounding context, and this morning we look especially at verses 10 to 14. We'll read those verses together. That's page 1009, if you'd like to read along. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you look back just a few verses to chapter 11, chapter 11, verses 24 to 26, you read there, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then Hebrews 11, verse 25 continues, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Our text today, then Hebrews 13, describes what the Holy Spirit means when he speaks about the reproach of Christ. And he is referring to the reproach that Christ endured as well as the reproach that comes to those who follow Jesus Christ. The expression, the reproach of Christ, refers in the first place to the disgrace that Christ suffered in his own humiliation and his own death. Jesus Christ was not honored as a hero. He was rejected as an outcast. He suffered reproach. He didn't win a victory through a powerful display of, of force, but he accomplished salvation through the humiliation of being crucified like a criminal. We can only understand what Jesus Christ suffered when we study the connection to the Old Testament sacrifices. We'll do that especially then in the first point this morning. The second way of seeing the reproach of Christ, the expression, the reproach of Christ, refers also to the reproach that Moses and anyone who believes in Jesus Christ can expect as well, the reproach that comes from following Christ. The persecuted church that receives this letter can know that they are not being punished in a special way by God but that everything is as it should be for those who want to follow the humiliated Christ. This is what we expect, what we can expect in a world in which God has established enmity. If we understand that the Holy Spirit is carrying us through the humiliation of suffering to the glory of the lasting city, we can see that it is a blessing and a privilege to be exactly where we need to be, where the Holy Spirit told us to be bearing 
reproach for Christ. And we see then that the church is given the honor of bearing reproach with Christ, her head. We'll see first that Christ bore the reproach of being a sin offering, and second, that Christians bear reproach for believing in the sin offering. Hebrews 13, verses 10 to 14, I think we all can capture right away. It's very loaded. It's a very loaded text. There's a lot uh, in there. And through these loaded words, the Holy Spirit is urging all men to stop depending on religious ceremonies and sacrifices that have become obsolete with the old covenant and to embrace Jesus Christ as their only Savior. The message is don't miss out on the Messiah, Jesus Christ, because you're running after the Old Testament ceremonies. And then in this context, the Holy Spirit uses the fact that Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament sin offering as a basis to teach New Testament Christians about what kind of lives they can expect if they follow Jesus Christ. And so what are the sacrifices that are being referred to in our text? Well, we see the seriousness of the warning in our text when we see that the writer of the Hebrews is using language that would remind the Jewish people who knew the Old Testament well, it would remind them of a very special sacrifice in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ fulfilled. This special sacrifice is distinguished from all the others as being more holy by the fact that the priests were not allowed to eat from it. You see, ordinarily, the old, in the Old Testament, the priests would always get their food from sharing in the sacrificial offerings. And all the meat that was left after the blood was offered and, and other special parts were offered on the altar that was given to the priests. And if you look at Leviticus 6 and Leviticus chapter 7, these two chapters explain exactly which portions may be eaten by the priest from every kind of sacrifice. Grain offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, burnt offerings, and, and, and peace offerings. All of them, the priests could eat from. That was the ordinary way that things went. However, and you can look at this in Leviticus 6, verse, 20, uh, ver verse 30, there is one exception. And it's said specifically, no sin offering shall be eaten from which any of the blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It shall be burnt with fire. There's one exception where the priests were not allowed to eat was when the blood was brought right into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And now if you go back to the Old Testament and you look, when did this happen? You'll find that it only happened on three occasions. It happened on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, we read about that. It happened when the priests were ordained, Exodus 29 and Leviticus 10. And it happened when a bull was sacrificed so that its ashes could be used for purification, like we read about in Numbers 19. So now we think of Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, 
And we compare that to Hebrews 13, verse 11, and we see that it fits quite well. Hebrews 13, verse 11 says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. In the Old Covenant, the Day of Atonement was one of the most special days of, of the whole year. You could gather that from reading the end of chapter 16. The day when the high priest sacrificed a bull for the sins of all the priests, including himself, and then he sacrificed another goat for the sins of the whole congregation for the whole year. It was the only day of the year that the high priest entered into the most holy place. And when he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, under the screen of darkness and under the, the smoke from the incense altar. It made all the sin offerings throughout the year effective for the purification of sins. And so as a result, that bull and that goat that bore the guilt of the priests and of the nation for the whole year, it became so utterly cursed in, in, the, in the presence of the people, there could be nothing left for human consumption, not even to leave it for the vultures, and the bodies had to be taken outside the camp and burnt, bearing the sins of the people. Well, we can see clearly how Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross has fulfilled this most important sin offering in the whole Old Testament. He became sin for everyone who believes in him. That's the gospel that we proclaim. And rather than just sprinkling his blood in the most holy place, in a tent here on earth, he presented his body in the heavens before the Father so that we can have access into the heavens through Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the sin offering and we see in verse 12, in order to sanctify believers in his own blood. And so we see the description of the Day of Atonement fits well with Hebrews 13, verse 11. But when we read Hebrews 13, verse 12, we can see that the parallels are not exact. You can look at it, you can see that the bull and, and the goat of the sin offering on the Day of Atonement, they did not suffer or die outside the gate, like Jesus did when he suffered outside on the hill called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And this suggests that Hebrews 12 is showing how Jesus' suffering and his death also fulfilled another sacrifice, the sin offering for purification that required people to take a red heifer to the priest outside the camp to be slaughtered outside the camp. And while still outside the camp, the priest would then sprinkle the blood toward the front of the tent of meeting. It shows the, the holiness of this sacrifice as well. He would do so seven times, and we read it in verses 4 to 6, but the skin, the flesh, the blood, and dung of the heifer would be burned completely together with the purifying agents of cedar, wood, and hyssop, and the symbol of blood in the scarlet yarn. The ashes of this special sin offering would be mixed with water and then would be sprinkled on 
anyone or anything that had been in contact with a dead person on the third and on the seventh day of their uncleanness in order to purify them. And if you look at Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 14, you can see that in the, the writer of the Hebrew, the Holy Spirit makes reference to both these sacrament, or sacrifices. He talks about the purification. He talks about the heifer. He talks about the ashes. And the point is that Jesus Christ fulfills both the sin offering on the Day of Atonement and the sin offering through which the ashes of a red heifer were used to purify defiled sinners. Jesus Christ fulfilled all the aspects of every sin offering required by God in the old covenant in which the whole sacrifice was burned. And so we can read in 9 verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. When we look to the New Testament, we see the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. He announced that God's people had access to God through him because he fulfilled the Old Testament sacrifices. He fulfilled the temple. And because even though it would be destroyed, we read his body took the place of the Old Testament temple, the place to go for forgiveness. After our Lord Jesus had been beaten and mocked and condemned to death, the temple of his body stumbled outside the gate of Jerusalem and away from the city, away from the center of Judaism. He fulfilled everything that the heifer that was taken out of the city foreshadowed. And so he opened up a more excellent way into the glory of the Father through the humiliation and the death of his body, which Hebrews 10 verse 20 calls the curtain, the new curtain. And Hebrews 13 says, well, that cross outside the camp takes the place of the altar in the temple. It's the altar of the Christians. We have an altar that is different. We have an altar that gives us access to heaven and that altar is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that anyone can come to this altar. For Jesus' cross was in a place where the lowest and the most cursed of society were able to go. The sign above the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ declaring that he was king of the Jews was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. Jews, Samaritans, Romans, Gentiles alike, they could, they could go to this Christian altar. They could be there with him because Jesus Christ became the cursed and the excommunicated one for them and in their place in order that he might bear the wrath of God for everyone who believes in him and purify them from all their sins. When you go to God through Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, you will find that his arms are open to receive you. No matter what you have done, no matter who you are, you remember, he suffered outside the gate. And so the self 
self-righteous hypocrite who never missed a day of church but became so proud that he was incapable of showing mercy. Together with the meth-addicted prostitute who is, who is ashamed to stay a moment longer in the church building than is necessary, they both have access to God in Jesus Christ and in this cross outside the gate. Whoever repents from their sin, whoever turns to God in Jesus' name will receive the full forgiveness of sins, will receive new life in his name. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ is saved from their sins. And whoever is saved from their sins in Jesus Christ will know that he is a complete Savior. That we leave everything that we might want to contribute to our salvation behind and we run to him outside the camp. Hebrews 13, verse 13. That urgent call. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. This gospel message of our text was in the first place a call to the Jewish people to leave their worship in the tent and to receive Jesus Christ, those opponents of Paul and the other preachers who were preaching grace and who were punishing Paul and the apostles for this preaching. It was a call to them to, to leave their ceremonies and to run to Jesus Christ, but for them to hear the cost, it, it would have been overwhelming to tell a Jew to go outside the camp. It's quite a thing. If you look at the Old Testament, you know what's outside the camp. Outside the camp, that's where soldiers went to relieve themselves, where the bodies of the dead were disposed of, where blasphemers were stoned to death, where the uncircumcised Gentiles, where the God-haters converged. The command to, to go outside the camp did not only mean that someone must leave the temple and stop trusting in the sacrifices where they were separate from everyone else, but it also meant to go, to go into the place of disgrace and death where God executed his punishment on sinners in his son, Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit presents the choice very clearly. They had to choose between the cross outside the camp and the altar in the temple. Those who decided to stay in the temple to rely on animal sacrifices for their salvation they were not permitted to participate in the eternal benefits of Christ's once-for-all sacrifice for sins. There was no in-between. There was no, I'll do a little bit and, and the cross can do the rest. It called for a whole commitment. There was no middle ground. Whoever followed Jesus Christ would bear reproach, the reproach of the Jewish nation. But whoever rejected the reproach of Christ would also reject him as a Messiah and Savior. To have Jesus Christ is to have reproach, to go into this disgraceful situation being reproached. So it's to the Jews in the first place, but when we look to the New Testament, we see that the reproach that Christians endure would not only come from Jewish opponents who wanted to hold on to the traditions of the Old Covenant, but also 
It would come from Satan himself, Revelation 12. If you look at that, you could see that it's talking about how Satan has been attacking the church from the very beginning. To be among those saved by Jesus Christ is to be among those hated by the world. Our Lord Jesus told us in Matthew 10, he said, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Peter warns you what you can expect. We read that together. He says, do not be surprised when you face suffering because the world is surprised that you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. They malign you. That's 1 Peter 4, verse 4. Do you ever think about that? Do you understand that following Jesus Christ into the wilderness will often lead people to treat Christians as second-class citizens? Young men, young women, need to know what you are a part of. You who have the the courage to identify yourself with Christ, you who want to praise him continually for the sacrifice that saves you, do not be surprised when you are not respected for being a Christian. People will sneer at you when you read your Bible during lunch break. They will scorn your faith and your Christian perspective on issues that society is dealing with. They will call you names for serving the Lord on the day of rest. They will urge you to give up your delusion of being able to help the helpless, to show mercy to the downtrodden and in the underbelly of society, and they will urge you to join them in a world full of what Moses also saw, the fleeting pleasures of sin. You may even lose your job because of your faith or not be able to get a job because of your faith. And minor, really, if you compare to other believers in the, in the Middle East who are being put to death for their faith or those who are being put into prison like your brothers and sisters in Asia and Africa. You see, Christians will bear disgrace for their connection to Jesus Christ who saves them because he went outside the gate. And you can expect it because the Holy Spirit calls you to follow Jesus Christ. Now as we weigh the costs of following Jesus Christ outside the gate, Christians will find another enemy, another point of resistance. There's the the Jewish nation, there's the world, but then they find their own hearts often resist the idea of paying something to follow Jesus Christ, to bear disgrace. We'll often resist the Lord's call to crucify our old nature on the cross with Christ. You see, it is not easy to follow Moses who left the comforts and riches of the world to bear the reproach of Christ. And we sometimes find ourselves thinking the words of Psalm 73, that we will sing after this message, Psalm 73, where we become envious of the apparently easy lives of the ungodly. The struggle is within us. 
And rather than lay aside every weight and sin that entangles to run with endurance the race that is set before us, as we look to Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, that's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, rather than doing that, our sinful nature tends to turtle, to, to convince us that we actually are entitled to receive respect from the world. Have you, have you ever had that thought? They owe us respect. How much do we prepare the next generation for reproach and persecution if we spend all our time getting more stuff and creating attachments to things on this earth that are temporary, when we teach that also to our children. Will the bubble or the fortress we create to protect our children from the influences of the world, will that prepare them for the reproach of Christ? Have we led the next generation to be oblivious to the danger like blind and deaf sheep who are getting fattened up in the safety of their cocoon, but yet disappearing one at a time as the wolves come in and devour them. Eating of the Christian altar outside the gate. Yes, participating in his sin offering, his humiliation living in the forgiveness of sins will always mean bearing the reproach that Jesus Christ endured. We do this in different ways, brothers and sisters, and the questions are not meant to criticize, but to encourage deep thought, not just accepting the status quo. Because you know what? Suffering is not a bad thing. Suffering is not something we need to protect our children from. Because if they don't see reproach, they will also not see the joy of sharing in Christ's sufferings. When the apostles were beaten for preaching the name of Christ and charged not to speak in the name of Jesus, do you know what they did? Acts 5 verse 41. It says... Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. In Colossians 1 verse 24, the apostle Paul, he wrote that he rejoices in his suffering for Christ's sake. And he confessed that in his flesh he was filling up what was lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is his church. The Apostle Peter speaks the same way when he says, Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You see, brothers and sisters, when we go to Jesus Christ, when we go to the voice of the good shepherd who calls to us in the preaching, he calls to, to go outside the camp 
with him to bear disgrace. Hebrews 13, verse 13. We are simply enduring the disgrace that he endured, sharing in the fulfillment of the plan of God. It is an honor to testify to the truth of the gospel with our lives. We don't need to groan and complain when our task of parents is attacked by society, when our desire to defend the vulnerable in society is opposed or even called intolerance, when people malign the church, when we must pay for our faith by suffering reproach, we don't groan, we don't complain, we rejoice. The name of Jesus Christ is being made known also through our faithfulness in trials. We praise God for the privilege, the privilege of having more opportunities to speak about the hope that is within us, about the open arms of God who will receive all who come to him in Jesus Christ. What a great reminder that we have a lasting city. We have no lasting city here on earth, but we seek the city that is to come in verse 14. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let us draw near to God through Christ, whose blood and spirit purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Let us follow him outside the gate, through suffering, through trials, through tribulation, and so also share in his resurrection and his ascension to eternal life and lasting joy. The sufferings, says Paul, of this present life are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen.